Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Laura, this weather is so weird. It's just gloomy. I know. I've sort of crossed over. I mean, no surprise I've changed my mind on something. But uh, not long ago, I went on a, a whole rant on how I don't care if we don't get snow. Okay. Like, I don't really... I don't really care about the snow that much, you know? Yeah. It's pretty, I guess, like, but it's kind of a nuisance and right. selfishly, I'm not a big, like, outdoor snow enthusiast. But callers had convinced me that there would be some joy in, like, doing snowshoeing. or that. Yeah. So this was going to be my winter. I was going to yes. do it. Yes. Good. Well. Now you can't. Correct. But I'm not really worried about me, for once. I actually... I'm worried about, like, all of these things that we schedule to sort of make our winters more fun. I know. And the number of things that have been canceled. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I know. It's really too bad. And you think, like, in Maple Grove, they've got those ice uh, uh, castles. Yep. And they've got, on Nicollet Mall, right now, I think it opened... Two hours ago. An ice bar I saw. Yeah. What's that all about? So this is part of the Great Northern Festival. Yep. And it's pretty cool. Um, They've got this ice bar where it's just, they've got like the best bartenders in the Twin Cities. This thing spans like a whole block. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's huge. So, uh, and they've got some of the best like bartenders in town kind of working this thing. Cool. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, like, let's, this thing probably won't melt. I don't know. Maybe they can at least get a, one of the weekend days out of it or tonight. Is it open tonight? It's open tonight. Yeah. And they've got, like, <clears throat> there's a different, there's different schedule, I guess, with, like, when different bartenders are going to be there and that sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's free to go to. But, I mean, obviously you pay for your drinks and whatever. But, like, these are – what what is it Bemidji that has some kind of a, a ice fishing thing this weekend that they canceled? I think so, yeah, yeah. And then uh, y, uh, Wyzetta, their Chamber of Commerce, canceled mm-hmm. the Chili Open, the, the kind of uh, mini golf thing right. out on their lake. And think of all the resort owners who depend on snowmobilers. They're oh, not getting any of that action this year. Yeah, like the the fish houses <laughs> out on the lacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, do. Do you know? I don't know if if ice fishing is going on. I know Jamie Ucas was out there. Yep. Two weeks ago, saw that. And obviously, it was really cold, and we were making a lot of ice. But the problem is, you have certain areas of open water, and so you might have good ice, but you might not be able to get out there. Yeah, that would scare me. And I'm not a big fan of walking on lake ice anyway, because I had a very scary incident years ago in my 20s where I fell through the ice on a pond. Oh, my goodness. And I was kind of like dangling from my armpits with my dog doing circles around me. And I'll never forget that. And and ever since, I'm just a little leery about walking on any lake ice. Yep.
Tonight, the ice bar is open till 7. Uh, tomorrow, it's open 2 to 6. Sunday, 12 to 4. And then it opens up again Wednesday with uh, Wednesday, January 31st is National Hot Chocolate Day. Mm. So Caribou's going to be out there serving hot chocolate. That's cool. So it's it's like over by uh, Mara. Yeah, so it's, by the Four Seasons. Yep. Yep. Pretty cool. Um, I wanted to ask you about this story I saw in the New York Times where Nikki Haley essentially changed her husband's name. Did you see this story? No. <laughs> the story is about, like, the freedom to change your name. Mm-hmm. So Nikki Haley, when she first met her uh, future husband, his name is Bill. Haley? Or is Haley her maiden name? Uh, uh, I don't know. Now you're now you've got me stoned. I okay. think it's Haley. Yeah, Mr. Haley. Okay. So his name is William. He, he went by Bill. So Nikki looks at him and says, "What's your name?" <laughs> and he says, "Bill." And she says, "You don't look like a Bill. Hmm. What's your whole name?" And he says, my name is William Michael. Mm-hmm. And in her 2012 memoir, she wrote, from that point on, I started calling him Michael. And all my <laughs> friends did the same. She looked at Bill Haley, decided that he looked like a Michael, and he just went along with it. All right. He still goes by Michael. The New York Times article linked to their bridal registry. And the bridal registry says Nikki Randhawa, which was her maiden okay. name. And Michael Haley. Okay, well, if he wants from 96, to From 96. That, that was in 96. He just went along with it, like, all right. Well, okay, so if he was okay with it, then that's fine. That's, you know, if it's his name, he can do what he wants. Do you with think it. he was just trying to get the girl? No. No. Could you imagine? Now, sometimes you see people, though, and you think, hmm, that person doesn't fit their name, right? Yeah. So could you imagine, though, meeting? So say say you meet Dan Cook. Yeah. Dan, what's your, what's your middle name? James. James. Daniel James Cook. And Dan says, well, my name is Dan. And you say. Uh-uh. <laughs> You don't look like no Dan. It's so. <laughs> and you're like, I will now call you Jimmy because yes. you're. <laughs> it's so. Or James. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> and yet, your name is such a key part of your identity. Of course it is. Right? Yes. And you had nothing to do with it. Your parents right. picked it out, they were doing their best. I think about like some of the people with like these real hippy dippy weirdo names where like moon unit. Correct. And maybe you grow to become like that. And maybe you're more like a like a Michael. Yeah. (laughs) And now I have two cousins. Two of my cousins changed their first name. Really? When they were pretty young, like. Their parents got divorced. Like, there was just, like, a lot of drama happening. Okay. And 
I will say, like, as a family member, it's so weird where you're like, we knew this girl as Sarah. Yep. And then she's like, no, I'm, you know, something else. It's so funny. I have a cousin like that, too, who changed her name as a teenager. She changed it as a teenager? She was adopted. Okay. And there was some family dynamics going on where the name, ugh, I think the na- her name that we knew her as was perhaps her birth name or a name given to her in, in the adoption agency. I don't really know what the status mm. was, but she changed it from Shelly to Marianne. Huh. And now she's back to Shelly. <laughs> so I'm not sure what happened there. So in this New York Times article, they were talking especially about people with like very unusual names. So someone on Reddit, this guy was on Reddit saying, look. My girlfriend's name is Zelda, and her parents were apparently huge literary geeks. Yes. And her mother was interested in the life of Zelda Fitzgerald. Sure. And he writes, I love her. I just can't get over her name. I call her pet names and weird nicknames all the time (laughs) because I feel so weird calling her Zelda. Zelda. Yeah. Because it reminds him of Legend of Zelda, the video game. Oh, sure. That's not what she was named after, but it's weird. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is fascinating. You think about this. Another person was, was saying like, well, uh, this girl was saying my boyfriend's name is Bradley. And I hate, I hate it. Bradley? Yes. I hate the name. So she calls him Babe 90% mm. of the time. Can she just call him Brad? Is, like, does that? She doesn't like Brad oh, either. Brad or Bradley. Okay. So our friend Carol Brees, yes, who is a professor emeritus at the University of St. Yes. Thomas, social science uh, relationship expert. She's cool. She is cool. Carol says, well, like a name is really just any symbol. And so you can you can reorient your emotional connection to the name. You don't have to change someone's name but it does take work especially if like i don't know you think about when you're naming a a a child when you're trying Mm -hmm. to come up with a baby name a lot of times like there might be names you like but maybe it was an ex-boyfriend or maybe it was someone who was maybe emotionally abusive to you in the past and you're Mm -hmm. like well i can't name my child this because it makes me think of this right you can reorient yourself yes but i guess you can also just ask the Ask Zelda to change your name. Well, I think that needs to be up to Zelda. For sure. Yeah. But I could never even imagine like going so far as to ask someone to change. No, me neither. And who knows? I don't know that Nikki Nikki Haley asked her husband to change his name. I mean, what says she, she just said, started I like ca- Michael better. She said that she just started calling him Michael. Like she just decided she just, that was what she was. And now do. you're Michael. Okay. Well. <laughs> Super weird. Then Michael or Bill needs to stand up for what he wants to be called, and if he he must have been okay that's with right. Michael, so that's his prerogative, I guess. I am. Uh, oh, uh, Dweezil makes sense, but what was Frank thinking? Moon Unit is a boy's name. <laughs> Another texture. I work with a guy, and he is his what he and his wife both changed their last name when they got married. That does happen a lot. Okay, right? like hyphenated kind of a situation. I know some people who've, like, taken both names and created a hyphenated. 
I don't know if this texture if if they just straight up created a new name. Okay. I've heard of people who like have taken their last names and kind of combined them. them. I, you know, do what do what you need to do. Like I guess I don't care. It's not my. uh, Well, you know what? I host a talk show. I can give my opinion on anything. I think creating (laughs) a new name is stupid and sort of disrespectful. Like as a parent, I would be mad. Yeah. And I know I shouldn't, but I would be mad if my kid was like, so instead of like, I guess I wouldn't mind if Seth like hyphenated. Sure. Combined last names, that'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But if Seth decided like instead of DeRussia and instead of whatever the future Mrs. Seth is going to be like now our last name is Zappa. Yeah, that's yeah. like no, no. You need to keep keep your tie to your heritage a little bit, a little bit, in your right? family. And I can see if people come from, you know, a messed up, terrible, abusive family situation, yeah. they yeah. they don't want anything to do with that name anymore. Totally I get, get it. it. But if that's your life, right. you should do whatever exactly. you want to try to get through. Yeah. Right. But no. in most cases, no. Now, this is funny. The first time I met my wife, a texter says, I was working at Montgomery Ward, and I was wearing a name tag that was not mine. (laughs) The name tag said Andy, and she said, you don't look like an Andy. (laughs) We've been together over 40 years. She's a smart cookie. And now she calls me all sorts of names. Yeah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) There was a bar in the Twin Cities, uh, Brad Street Craft House, that was it. On the lower level of the great, then it was the Graves Hotel. Now it, I don't know, it's across from Target Center, whatever that hotel is. Mm-hmm. And you'd see these guys who had very unusual names on their name tag. Hmm. Employees, I, you mean? Yes, okay. the bartenders. And it turned out that the hotel had a policy that you had to wear a name tag. So the bartenders at this uh, bar would just grab name tags of whatever. <laughs> so you'd have like uh, <laughs> people, you'd have these very white Minnesota bartenders with like very, you know, ethnic yes. or Latino or sure. whatever names. And you're like, okay. That's kind of fun though. I like that. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. It is a, the baggage of names. I'm sort of fascinated on this this question of whether if you do have an unusual name, or even if you have a really boring name, like, do we sort of become our name? Mm. I really, I think I've read a little bit about this. I'm in no, I know Carol Breeze. So I'm in no position to give a, an academic opinion on this, mm-hmm. but I do think that people often become their names. So it, not to put extra pressure on parents trying to come up with a name, mm-hmm. but if you give your kid a very creative Kind of, you know, free spirit type name. Yeah. Uh, More often than not, I think those kids become like that. Yeah, I could see that. And I think it's okay. Like, it's, I'm not, you know, I think it's great. Yeah. But it is interesting how much your name can sort of guide you, I guess. Sure. And the confidence that comes along with being comfortable with your name, too. Like, if you do have an unusual name, but you like it, and maybe people think it's weird or they can't pronounce it, but you kind of embrace that, that's a big deal. Timothy Chalamet is a pretty cool name. Yeah. Spelled unusually, right? Uh, He was in Hibbing. Yesterday. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Like, imagine being at Hibbing High School. I think that's pretty cool. I think so, too. He's researching. He's he's going to star as Bob Dylan in a biopic bio coming up. And so he's been inhibiting kind of researching Bob Dylan stuff. 
and asked to meet with the drama club up there. It seems like he was super nice. Yeah, took pictures with everybody. I think that's what a thrill for I those like kids, that. Yeah, right? Right. I I think that's really cool. I don't, sometimes you look, you're like this sort of the social media aspect of life is not always great, but the fact that like these kids were able to share, like, hey, yep, this guy that we love in Wonka and we love in Dune, and he's such a good actor, like. He hung out with us and geeked out about theater cool. for 45 minutes. I love it. Yeah. Makes me like him better, doesn't mm-hmm. it, for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura, have a good weekend. You too. We'll see you next week. Go to the ice bar or don't go on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not good. It's 523. We're going to do the D-Rush Hour news headlines in just a minute, including some inventions created in Minnesota that I did not know were Minnesotans. A plastic bag ban results in people using more plastic and an interesting story on a Timberwolves investor uh, owner in fact that we didn't even know about we'll talk about it coming up on CCO 529 time for the D rush hour news headlines we all know that post-it notes and spam were invented in Minnesota but did you know about the pop-up toaster Star Tribune's Curious Minnesota Project, it's online now in your paper on Sunday, looks at other Minnesota inventions. Alan McMasters invented the first electric toaster in Scotland, but a Minnesotan added the kind of feature that makes it pop up so you wouldn't burn your bread. Kind of cool. Charles P. Streit was working for a manufacturer in Stillwater who came up with the Toastmaster in 1921. Used a timer and a spring to turn off the heating element. And he. And that car crash? Well, some real genius came out of that. A University of Minnesota professor, James Crash Ryan. There's a self. Imposed nickname that wasn't actually Nikki Haley saw James Ryan once is like, no, your name is Crash. And that's how it is. <laughs> James Ryan patented the first automatic self retractable seatbelt. So, you know, sometimes when your seatbelt like go <laughs> tightens up. Standard issue in autos worldwide. Uh, pontoons are us. Twister. Zubas. Frozen pizza, in a way, Rose Totino. There were other frozen pizzas, but Rose Totino gets credit uh, for coming up with a a kind of dough that could be frozen. Totino's is now a billion-dollar brand for General Mills. Banned plastic bags, and people used more plastic afterwards? Plastic consumption in New Jersey tripled, despite the state's 2022 plastic ban meant to address the problem of plastic pollution. A study found that the state, when they banned those single-use plastic bags, led to a 60% decrease in total bag volume. So that sounds good. <laughs> but the alternatives people were buying uh, were plastic reusable bags. And the material in those bags are made with non-woven polypropylene, which is not widely recycled. Now, if people reuse that over and over and over and over and over, maybe you could make a case that this increase in consumption in one year will overall be a decrease. But I don't think plastic bags are that bad. Sorry, I don't. I think the alternatives are goofy. 
Interesting story on the people coming together to help A-Rod and Mark Laurie by the Timberwolves. Wall Street Journal looking at, like, how are these guys going to get the money? Timberwolves cost $1.5 billion to buy. It was structured in parts. So Laurie and A-Rod bought 20% of the teams in 2022, 20% in 2023. This year, they're buying 40%. So they'll have majority control. Minority owner. Part of this, uh, Jiren Javari, CEO of a Chicago-based health insurance company called Kuvare, he owns 4% of the Timberwolves. No one had reported on that before. Apparently, A-Rod and Lori have talked with the chairman of Google, Eric Schmidt, as being a part of the ownership team as well. It's 532. That's it for the D-Rush Hour news headlines here on the 26th of January. In just a minute... A Pioneer Press reporter has been digging into a mystery that has absolutely rocked the St. Paul newspaper. It has something to do with the Winter Carnival. We'll talk to Jared Kaufman in just a minute here on CCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The St. Paul Winter Carnival is both amazing and bizarro. It's wonderful and peculiar. I love it. It's part of what makes this such a unique place to live. And part of the Winter Carnival is the Pioneer Press treasure hunt and the medallion. The hunt for the medallion is underway right now. People hoping to find that medallion and win a large cash prize. Well, it's been going on for a long time. And some of the initial Pioneer Press treasure hunt medallions had sort of vanished. Not a giant surprise, I suppose, considering what a newspaper office and with all of the history of this, like no one's super surprised. And then one of those medallions turned up. But that's only uh, the beginning of this story that Jared Kaufman has been chronicling for the Pioneer Press, and he joins us in studio today. Jared, Jared, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, The medallion resurfacing. How did, well, first of all, did, did you guys know it was was missing or it was out there somewhere, but you didn't know where it was? How how did this all start? Yeah, so the bronze medallions that were originally used, they haven't been used since 1987 when mm. they switched over to plastic, which is what they use now because medallion hunters were using metal detectors to find them. Oh, made um, it too easy. I know. Yeah, you got to follow the clues. <laughs> um, but so a couple of weeks ago, we um, found a, an eBay listing. Some medallion hunters actually found an eBay listing for what they said was an original bronze medallion. Which, I mean, raised the exact question that you're talking about. How did these disappear from the Pioneer Press and how did they end up on eBay? And so you you start asking questions. Yeah, it's been, I feel like I'm on a treasure hunt too. Mm. Um, so I was trying to figure out where they went. So I was, you know, talking to people who worked at the Pioneer Press now and they were referring me to other people. And, um, you know, I would say, 
who did you work with? Who was running the treasure hunt at the time? Who was, you know, sitting at the desk next to you? Who might have taken over somebody's desk afterward if they left it in a desk drawer? So I was talking to, you know, former publishers of the Pioneer Press, people who ran the treasure hunt, people who were doing promotions and circulation, and nobody really seemed to know. So it was a, it was definitely a mystery. Back in the day, I I presume there were more, you know, there there was more than just one medallion, right? Like they had to have a backup or something. Yeah, there were six that were originally made. So that the original order, so they went to somebody and was like, "We need we need six medallions." Correct. Uh, well, they actually they took five. So the metal worker mm. kept one of them. And that one remains with the metalworkers family, which I confirmed with them. So they right. still have that one. So you found one. <laughs> found that one. And then five went to the Pioneer Press. Okay. So one of them is this one that's on eBay. One of them um, is one that has actually just a couple weeks ago been returned to the Pioneer Press. Um, and then uh, the other three, one medallion hunter says he owns one. One medallion hunter says that he uh, has a friend who owns one. And then when I wrote the story, the fifth medallion remained unknown. We didn't know where it was. But actually, since the story came out this week, somebody somebody reached out to me saying that they might have a piece of information that I would want to hear. Oh, <laughs> Do you feel like – and Jared Kaufman is our guest from the Pioneer Press. I mean, do you feel a little bit like you're, you're some kind of like secret agent detective or something? Yeah, I feel like I should be you know meeting them in some sort of underground <laughs> garage bunker or something like that. Um, but yeah, he met me at the Pioneer Press office yesterday and he has this fifth medallion. And it's legit? It is. He bought it at an auction up in North St. Paul in 1997. He paid $190 for it. Um, he was, yeah, excited to show it to me. We took a selfie. Um, I think it, you know, speaks to how devoted people are to the medallion hunt and how beloved it is in St. Paul, which is really cool. This eBay listing that sort of revealed the idea that, hey, we should figure out what happened to these things. At first, you didn't, and I'm looking at this listing right now because it's still live. It says only one St. Paul Winter Carnival King Boreas Treasure Medallion. And they're, I don't know if anyone has bid on this yet, but they're asking for $66,000. Which seemed crazy at first. And, I mean, it is crazy. I think the reason why they said that is just because they priced it as if it were like a rare penny or a rare coin Uh. or something. Um, I don't think anybody's really going to pay $66,000. I think that, you know, they're entertaining offers kind of on the back end. So last, you know, the last that I talked to the seller's representative, which was uh, maybe a week and a half ago, he was entertaining, I think he said a, a $10,000 offer in that neighborhood. That feels reasonable, feel- right? That's a lot of money, but you think about the historic nature of this and how, I mean, if you're a collector of something like this, Absolutely. like that would be pretty amazing to have. Yeah, and there's so much, um, you know, nostalgia and personal kind of connection for a lot of these treasure hunters that, yeah, I can absolutely see why, um, you know, somebody would really want to have this in their collection. So It's so fascinating and so interesting. The treasure medallion started with one eBay listing, and now it's led uh, Jared Kaufman to finding all of the original ones. We've tracked them all down. Amazing. Uh what what do you you know there is a subculture of treasure hunters medallion hunters absolutely and it is so look it's easy to sit on the outside and be like what a bunch of absolute weirdos because they are hunting in the middle of the night 
the clue is revealed at at midnight, just midnight, about, yep. and then off they go. Off and they these go. guys, back when I was anchoring the morning news, our overnight photographer Joel Thurston would follow like the Facebook group where these guys were on, and he'd go out with you know the Channel Four camera and try to get video of these guys. But I have come to absolutely love the tradition because it's such a beautiful, like, it's often, you know, a family or a couple of friends. The fact that they do this every year. People take time off work. Like, it is. Yeah. I'm sure you looked at it. Hunters. You looked at it first like I did. Like, this is pretty weird. It, you, it's so, you know, it's not. And then yeah. you meet the people and you're like, it is still pretty weird. But you guys are awesome. Like, it is, it is an amazing thing, I think. I think so, too, because it's not, you know, there is that $10,000 prize, but it's not all about that. No. It's really about, you know, the thrill of solving these these cryptic clues and the glory of finding it and the, you know, the 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 thrill of the chase, I think, is what really gets people involved. And, uh, yeah, I I think it I think it's just people just have such a good time with it. The story is online at TwinCities.com, uh, and you'll, you'll have an update on the... Uh, finding the the final one, I presume. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we'll update on that, and then when will that be in the paper? Uh, hopefully next week. Next week. Your um, next yeah, week. and still looking for more information about where they, you know, some of them we know where they ended up. We don't know how they left the Pioneer Press. Still, that mystery. That's kind of part still of the remains. mystery, right? Yeah. And again, like for you and me and Dan Cook working at a media operation. It is 0% surprising that something even of kind of nostalgic or uh, potentially historical nature would disappear. Right. Because like the Pioneer Press, much like WCCO Radio, has been in a lot of buildings that were an absolute dump. Where you're like... You've moved around a lot. You've yeah, moved the around a lot. has changed hands a lot, too. And the ownership of the paper and whoever was running the treasure hunt, all of this has changed. So, like, it's not surprising that, like, oh, I don't know whatever happened to that thing would be. Those were some of the answers you were getting, right? Exactly. And the medallion that ended up being returned to the Pioneer Press was taken home, I think, in 1990 by um, Jack and Diane Mosier, who had run the hunt for about two decades between the mid-70s and the mid-90s. And so my suspicion is that that's probably what happened to the rest of them, especially after they kind of became obsolete and we're not used anymore. That yeah, you're like, no one cares home. and I'm just going to take it. Yeah. If it's sentimental to you, if you work for the newspaper, if you ran the hunt, I could absolutely see that. I'm yeah. not sure if that's exactly what happened, but I agree with you. I could see that being the case. I mean, have I taken stuff from places I've worked? Not that I'm going to fess up to. No, this is a, this is a public radio show. <laughs> I keep that a secret. I don't need the cops coming for me, but I do currently have some WCCO radio property in my house. It's fine. I've only worked here a year and a half, but you got to grab it while it's hot. I'm that's, not telling anybody. That's <laughs> uh, what's what's next for you as the Winter Carnival is underway. Someone's going to find the medallion and and get that ten thousand dollar prize. It's still out there, and I will I'll be there when it's when it's found. They'll they'll give me a call and I'll be there. So if they and find it at one in the morning, I'll be there at one in the morning. There you go. My phone's on all night, and I'm following other Winter Carnival stories too. This um, and it's been. It's fun. I love the Winter Carnival. It's really good. Your reporting is great. The story you uh, weave about the mystery of of the medallion is fantastic. It's like podcast material, don't you think? Like the the mystery of of the missing Winter Carnival medallion. Oh, absolutely. I would I would listen to this. Right. I would. Yeah. I mean, it's just been fun to dive down the rabbit hole. So good.
Jared yeah, Kaufman. If anybody knows anything else, uh, let me know. Very good. All right, head up Jared. Jared, thank you. Appreciate you coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really cool. 549, back in just a minute here on CCM. It is 38 in downtown Minneapolis here on CCO. Hey, you're not done with us. Tomorrow we are live for Twins Fest. Saturday is sold out. It is sold out, but we will be live at Target Field. Lots of fun tomorrow, starting at 11 with an interview with uh, this kid, Joe Mauer. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, but that'll be who's who's talking to Joe? He is was it Chad uh, or Vanita. Or? He was over. He was born in Golden Valley, right? I think so. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know all the details. Sure. Sold out tomorrow, but we'll get you in right here on CCO Radio. So uh, tune in tomorrow. I'm on at like three thirty, talking to front office muckety mucks. I think so. They better get ready for my tough questions. See you tomorrow.